Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, we just ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives. We ask you to help us as we investigate your word, teach us, give us strength that we may serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. One, Andrew, I think, is going back to uh, run off some more. Let's turn to the book of Galatians once again. seems like it's been a very long time. It's actually only been... Uh, a week, and uh, uh, if I got my dates correct, next week, Brother Cassidy is supposed to be with us, our missionary to Malawi. And uh, I've not heard from him, so I am hoping uh, that he'll be here and also that they'll be here, uh, be able to spend the next night with us because that Friday night will be our family fun night. And if you've ever been around Pat Cassidy on a time like that, you know. It's just going to be a blast. And so hopefully you pray about that. But let's get right into it. We're down to verse 11 of chapter 1. This is our third in the series of the book of Galatians. And Paul has started out right at the beginning. He gives a greeting. And in verse 6, Uh, Well, let's do verse 4. Our theme, our our ongoing theme of the entire book of Galatians, we picked from verse 4 that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That is the goal of the gospel. If your gospel is not delivering you from the world, it might be the wrong one. Amen? It's supposed to keep us and... And it's one of the most amazing things today. Uh, of course, Brother Clayton and I were talking, was talking about all the things that are going on uh, in, in churches, in places where the gospel used to be preached, and people just aren't doing it. They're going back into the world. And, of course, the Bible's very clear. If you can go back where you came from, you never got out. Uh, you never left it. Uh, you can't go back to Egypt. That's the whole story of the children of Israel. Is You can die in the wilderness, yes. You cannot make it to the promised land, but you can't go back to Egypt once you have Jesus as your Savior. And, and the gospel was given to us to deliver us and Paul was going on, and and our last time we were together, he was saying, I marvel, he said, I'm amazed, I can't believe it, that you've left the truth for another, you've left for another gospel, he said, which is not another. There, There is only one truth, there's only one way of salvation, and when you change it, you no longer have the truth. And... So we come down here and, and uh, Paul gives this charge and, and I often read these verses to, to people of some of our more modern religions, but though we are an angel from heaven, that's verse 8. I mean, that takes care of the Mormons, does it not? That takes care of the Jehovah's Witnesses. That takes care of all these modern religions. Paul said, if an angel came from heaven... Uh, didn't Muhammad claim that an angel came from heaven and gave him the words of the Quran? And uh, I think it was Sung Young Moon said that Jesus appeared to him three times and said, Could you fix the mess that I made? Uh, I failed, and, and I need you to straighten it out. Now, that would we can see very plainly how that, that would benefit Mr. Moon personally if that actually happened. Uh, That's why we know it's not true. There is no verse in the Bible that benefits any individual or lifts any individual up above any other individual than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways that we can just know that it's false. I got an email uh, from some organization in Brooklyn that says, Uh, We want you to go to our website and read about our most esteemed leader. Trash. Uh, We only have one esteemed leader in our church. 
And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so Paul is, is giving them that the, you have what you need. And he ends in verse 10 as we go into the passage we're studying tonight. He says, For I, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? He said, Why am I doing this? Why am I rebuking you in this way? Uh, I, I am trying to persuade you of what is true. And then we go to verse 11. And he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, he immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, say James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. And we may get a little further than that tonight, but let's just go back to verse 11. He starts here in verses 8 and 9. He tells them, listen, you cannot change the gospel. You have all that you need. The pattern is established. There is nothing new. There is nothing added to the gospel message that Paul had already preached to the Galatians. And then he says, I want you to understand that the message I preached didn't come from me. It didn't come. From, it, it didn't originate with me. Uh, I mean, a lot of times people say, well, how, how long has your church been in Astoria? I said, well, in, in October uh, of this year, our church will be 23 years old. Oh, okay. No, you don't get it. That's not the beginning of the Baptist. Oh, oh, okay. So where did your church come from? Well, Brother Thompson started the Cleveland Baptist Church in 1958, but it didn't start with Brother Thompson because he was sent out of the Akron Baptist Temple. And they started sometime in the early 30s, I think 1932 or 3, something like that. I am not sure, maybe a few years before that. But... Brother Billington that started the Akron Baptist Temple, he came from a Baptist church in Kentucky. But do we trace our history on churches starting churches? No. I have no idea where this came from. I've talked about this book often and all of a sudden it just showed up uh, on the windowsill here going up to our apartment. And uh, have, uh, but it was written by a man named Peter Reidman in the uh, early 1500s. And he was in prison because he wouldn't become a Catholic. And in order to pass the time, he sat down and wrote out his doctrinal statement, what he believed. And you know what? He would be welcome as a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church if he walked through that door today because his doctrine is so congruent with ours 
And yet that's not possible. We are separated by centuries of time and by language and by everything imaginable. There is no organic connection between us and Mr. Reidman, who lived in the early 1500s. But there is a connection. It's called the Bible. We believe the same book. And Paul is saying here, I did not receive my message from men. He says here, but I certify. Now, we have that word today. We still use that word. It means to guarantee, to prove that it's right, to make a declaration. Uh, if you want to make a payment, uh, especially a rather large payment of any kind, a lot of times you go to the bank and they'll say, certified check. Now, a certified check is where you, the bank takes the money out of your account and puts it in their account, and the bank writes a check. You know what? They don't. They might not trust you. They might not. They might wonder if you have the ability to pay that bill. But when you bring a certified bank check, there's absolutely no question about whether the check will be paid or not. Somebody told me. Uh, there's a way to cheat a certified check. Well, I, I, uh, I imagine there's a way to do about anything, but that would be mighty hard to accomplish because the bank has to have the cash in their account, and the bank is the one that's paying it, not you. It'd be kind of hard to do that. And Paul here, he's saying, listen, I certify that this was not... For me, the gospel that I gave you, which should, cannot be altered, is not a thing that was invented by man. He said, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is making an unusual claim here. He said, no man gave me these things, I was taught by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of the qualifications we believe in the Bible for the term apostle. That's why we believe there are no apostles today. Uh, I remember as a little child, my mom would listen to some religious uh, programs and there's this guy named Ernest Angeli out of Akron, Ohio. Has anybody ever heard that program? Uh, if you haven't, you're not missing a thing. Uh, but because this was his claim to fame, was that God had given him a vision when he was a little boy and transported him into the heavens and showed him the stars like he did Abraham and said, this is all the people you're going to reach in your ministry. It's just going to be like the stars of the heavens. Now, that'd be pretty cool if you were Ernest Angeli. And if it were true, which it weren't, is not. Uh, God does not do those things. His truth is not for individuals. His truth is truth because he gives it in his word. An apostle is someone who was personally trained by Jesus Christ. And Paul said, Jesus himself gave me, the doctrine. And then he goes back to verse 13 and starts filling us in on his history. He said, For ye have heard of my conversation. Now we're going to stop right here. This isn't in your outline, but just something that you can uh, add to your Bible knowledge. The word conversation, when we use it in modern English, it means a two-way talk going between people. Uh, but the word in 1611, when your Bible was translated into the English language, was a much broader and a much more simple term. It meant your general lifestyle. You know what we say today? Your talk doesn't match your walk. 
Well, that's because we've defined down the word conversation to where it only means you talk. Originally, that word meant and included everything that is known about you, your testimony, what people believe about you, what you say, how you live, everything that is known about you is part of your conversation. And he said, you've heard of my conversation, you've heard of my life, you've heard my story, even though when we get down to the end of the chapter, he says, you may not know that my name is attached to this story, but you've heard my story. Every Christian alive in Paul's day had heard Paul's story. It was one of those amazing stories that everybody talked about. And when we get down to the end of the chapter, Paul said, Listen, I was unknown by face to the churches in Judea. He said, Nobody knew who I was, but they knew my story. Because Paul was responsible for putting many of them in prison. And even seeing some of them executed. Read the book of Acts. And it tells the story of how Paul... And Paul says, You've heard of my conversation in time past in the... Jews, religion. Now, we've often defined this word uh, all through the Gospels. You'll see there was a feast of the Jews, capital J-E-W. Well, everybody in the Gospel story was a Jewish person. This term is referring to the leadership. The, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the uh, the people who were keeping the tradition and, and defining what being a Jew was. You see, that's why as you go through the book of Acts, we have this division that is going to happen, is the Jewish people are going to separate themselves from the Christians. Originally... The Christians were thought to be a sect of the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man. The crucifixion was a Jewish story. The first church was in Jerusalem. All the early believers were Jewish people. The authors of, our, uh, of the books in our Bible were all Jewish men. But there was a difference in what they believed. See, Jesus' sharpest criticism was for the capital J-E-W-S because they were much more involved with their traditions than they were with the Word of God. See, there's no contradiction between what goes on in the Old Testament and what goes on in the New Testament. The Bible has no contradiction cover to cover. And Paul was separating, he was helping these Galatians to understand that the people who were troubling them were troubling them not because they had the truth, but because they had Jewish traditions. And Paul says, I know everything about every one of those Jewish traditions. In fact, there is no living man that can claim that he kept them better than I did. And, and so he, he says here, you've heard how that Beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion, same term again, above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So Paul defines this thing for us. He says, I was a persecutor of the church. He said, beyond measure, Paul believed before he got saved in door-to-door evangelism. And by the way, in years past, the Fuller Brush Company believed in door-to-door evangelism, only they were selling brushes. And there's more than one vacuum cleaner sales company that sent their men out to knock on doors from door-to-door selling things. And people still do that. And and what they do instead of knocking on doors? They call you on your cell phone and want to sell you security systems. And uh, I love it. They call the... uh, We have two lines here at the church. And they call that second line. We 
we want to talk to you about your Con Edison bill. I said, there's no Con Edison bill attached to this phone number. Click. Uh, because the Con Edison bill is attached to the church phone number. They're not going to call that one. They always call the other one. And, and it, gets, it gets very frustrating. But Paul hailed people from house to house and committed them to prison. He was one of those guys that would come up to you and say, Greetings in the name of Jesus. And you'd reach out your hand and there'd be a handcuff. That was the kind of guy Paul was. He said, beyond measure, there was no reason. There was no reason to Paul's vehement desire to destroy and waste the church of God except for the fact of his zealous care and concern for traditions. Now, doesn't that set the standard today? I mean, the paradigm, if you want that term, uh, the pattern of behavior for almost every false religion out there. Why do people resort to violence? Because they're trying to protect their traditions. That's, that's what this whole thing with the Islamic uh, state and and uh, the things that have gone on in the past where they've thrown acid in the face of women who refuse to wear the burqas. And, I mean, this is a history that goes back. Why are they so afraid of this? Because they're holding to their traditions. You have to, you have to watch this. People will resort to violence when their lifestyle and their traditions are in danger. That's what the Civil War was fought over to a great degree. That's what many of the riots in our cities going on even now is all about. I mean, and and we, we can't get too far afield here, but it's nothing new. It's... Paul said, this is the pattern. And he said that he was exceeding zealous of the traditions. Now, verse 15, we have a but in here, so we're changing direction. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now, what Paul is saying here is, there came a time when God changed things in my life. How many of you remember the story of the Damascus Road? Paul was breathing persecutions and slaughter. He had letters from the chief priest in Jerusalem to arrest Jews in a foreign providence and bring them back to stand trial for not being Jewish. Now, where in the world did he get that kind of authority? Who knows uh, who dreamed this up, except it was the Apostle Paul trying to protect those traditions. And as they approached the city of Damascus, you know the story. If you don't read Acts chapter 9, it said a light. Uh, turned the noonday sun into a dim bulb. It was so bright. And uh, Paul fell off. Uh, Saul of Tarsus actually fell off of his uh, animal and, and heard Jesus speak to him. Remember what his first response was? Who art thou, Lord? Now, Paul was a Jewish man. Commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And yet Paul immediately, Saul of Tarsus at this point, immediately recognized that whoever this was, it was God. He said, I want to know who you are. And Jesus said, I am Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. What was the second response? What wilt thou have me 
do. And he went into the city of Damascus and he was there for three days when God got a hold of Ananias and sent him over to pray for him. And, and it says, like scales fell from his eyes. And uh, he immediately rose and, get, and was baptized. And if we read the text carefully, it says, and he abode there certain days. And then we come back to Paul's story here. He says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He was there for three days. And, and then he, was, he ate and he prayed and he was baptized. And then sometime in that next very short period of time, it tells us that he went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years... He went up to Jerusalem. So, uh, I, I remember when I was a Bible college student, uh, the, the Bible college actually started in 1950, and uh, Julia's father and Brother Clayton were there in the early or uh, mid-50s. I think Brother Clayton was uh, 57 and Brother Marshall was 58 graduating, but it was a three-year college. You know Why? Because it said then after three years, they said, well, that ought to be long enough to train somebody. Is that what this passage actually says? Uh, no. Uh, is three years long enough in Bible college? I'll tell you what. Uh, I've been in the ministry since 1986, so that's 29 years in, in May or of this, last, uh, this past May, 29 years, and I haven't learned enough Bible yet. So I, I don't think there's any amount of time that you could spend that really is going to completely prepare you for the ministry. That's not what the situation was. This was the elapsed time period from Saul's conversion until he left Damascus. He said that during that time, uh, right at the beginning of that time, we don't know what portion of that time, he left Damascus, he went to Arabia, and there Jesus taught him. Now, does anybody remember a significant place in Arabia where God gave his word to a man named Moses and the children of Israel were camped around Mount Sinai is in Arabia. So, my thought would be that that's probably where Saul ended up, being a Jewish man. He couldn't think of a better place to go. Jesus taught him that there is no contradiction between the law that God gave Moses and the person in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be the actual sub-theme of the book of Galatians is how that it is not through the works of the law. It is through the grace, but law and grace work hand in hand. Your Old Testament and your New Testament are equally necessary to explain to you your salvation. I've heard over the years some preachers say, I'm a New Testament preacher. We just don't pay any attention to the Old Testament. Well, you're losing about two-thirds of the revelation that God has given you. And there's some nutcases out there that want to chop up our New Testament and say, listen, the only part of your Bible that applies to the Christians is, is uh, parts of the book of Acts and, and the Pauline epistles. And, and don't you pay any attention to the gospel and the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with Christians. If you hear somebody talking like that, just get away from them. Don't try to argue with them. They're already past that. Here's what the Bible says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. You know, that's one of the reasons why so many of those Old Testament stories are in there, is to reprove us is to express blame to the face. Also, for correction, God doesn't only tell you what's wrong, He tells you how to make it right. And instruction in righteousness, if we finish that verse, that's how to keep it right. Amen? 
All of those things are in our Bible. And so, somewhere during that time period, Jesus taught Paul the story of Jesus Christ. And when Paul gets back to Damascus, he begins to preach Jesus in the synagogue. And everybody that's there, isn't this the guy that came to arrest the Jewish people? Isn't this the guy that was coming up here to... Uh, put an end to all of these Christians, and now he's preaching about the very Jesus that he sought to destroy. That's quite a story, isn't it? And so, he says that after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, I spent 15 days with Peter, And the only other apostle I saw was James. That's not James, the disciple of Jesus Christ, but it's James, the half-brother of the Lord, the author of the book of James. Uh, If we read Acts chapter 15 and understand it correctly, he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And, And he was the one that was leading what we're going to get into if we get to chapter 2 tonight. And so we we have Paul saying, listen... I didn't have any time with the apostles. I had 15 days with Peter. I only saw James. So there's no way that in 15 days they could have taught me what I already knew after three years. And we do not know the time period that uh, Paul went into Arabia, but he was there in Damascus got saved, got baptized, went to Arabia, came back, began to preach Jesus. And sometime in that consuming time period of three years, the Jewish people that were there were so angry and incensed at Paul, they tried to kill him. He was let down over the basket, over the wall in a basket. He escaped to Jerusalem, and none of the apostles would have anything to do with him. Remember that? They were scared to death. They thought that crazy man... Even though three years had been removed, he was trying to get the apostles now. And it was a man named Barnabas that took Paul by the hand and brought him in to meet Peter and and James and to go in and out with the believers there in Jerusalem. And before long, Paul had raised such a ruckus that they shipped him back home to the area of Kalikia, that's uh, the southern uh, shore of uh, Turkey. And we don't know how long Paul was there. But after a while, Barnabas is at Antioch. They're called Christians first at Antioch. And he goes to find Saul in Acts chapter 11, brings him to Antioch, and they're there in Antioch for two years. And here's what... Uh, Paul says about that entire time period that is there. He says, Now these things, verse, verse 20, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Calicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And I love verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Paul said, they glorified God in my story, even even though they didn't know who I was. They knew my name. They knew my story. And they knew that God had done something great in my life. But what does that tell us about this man, Saul, who later became the great apostle Paul? that nobody was giving him accolades. Nobody was looking to him. Nobody even knew where he was. They were just glad that he was gone because then the churches of Judea had rest. Uh, That agitator wasn't there anymore. The man who was going beyond measure wasn't stirring things up and, and keeping things going. In fact, some of the other Jews that were there had heard Paul's story and they said, listen, I'm not going to get anywhere near those Christians because I don't want to... Ha- Whatever happened to, to Saul, I don't want to have happened to me. And so they had a period of relative peace. 
And so now we go to chapter 2, and we have another time period stuck in here. It says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem. Now, this 14 years was a time period that Saul had spent in anonymity. He had spent two years at the church in Antioch, and then he and Barnabas had gone out in their first missionary journey and returned to Antioch before we get to Acts chapter 15, which is where the story picks up in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 2. These are parallel passages talking about the same things. And so we have a period here that could be as long as 21 years could be as short as 17 or 18 years. Where Paul had gotten saved, that's uh, three years there, then he went, and depending on how Paul was reckoning the time, uh, he could have included his time in, in Colicia and his time in Antioch in that 14 years. If he didn't, then it would stretch out to almost 21 or 22 years. That's a long time period. And the reason that Paul is doing this is he's wanting these Galatians to understand something. The message that Paul preached was not Peter's gospel because he didn't spend enough time with Peter to get it from him. It wasn't another one of the apostles. It was not something that Paul himself sat down and dreamed up. This was something that came directly from Jesus Christ. By the way, well, let's, let's get on it and keep going here. And so it says that he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus. And verse 2, and I went up by revelation. Now, uh, we've been through this passage in our Sunday school time and in different teaching times. Uh, if you pick up any church, quote-unquote, church history book, They love to take Acts chapter 15, Galatians chapter 2, and they just want to call it the first church council. Now, the reason they want to do that was because roughly 280-some years later, this guy named Constantine starts calling church councils because he was a Christian, not a real one. He was used the name... And he got all the preachers together to decide what the doctrine of the church would be. And I always love to, to bring this out. The Council of Chalcedon, uh, I believe it was 451 A.D. That's where the church finally decided that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus' church never had to worry about that. So that tells you right then and there that the churches involved in this council in 451 were not Jesus' churches. Because Jesus' churches already knew who Jesus is. In fact, they knew in Galatians chapter 1 when Paul went out there, they knew in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached the first sermon, there was never any question in Jesus' true church who Jesus is. But these people had come to the city of Antioch and they began preaching a different gospel that in order to be a real Christian, you had to be a Jew first. You had to follow all of the Old Testament traditions. You had to follow every regulation in the Old Testament law, in fact, you, you had to keep the law of the Jews and the traditions they were attached there. Because in their mind, they couldn't separate the laws of God from the traditions of men. That's what Paul was doing earlier in this chapter. By talking about his excelling in the traditions of the fathers versus the grace of God that saved him. Two different things. And I've often said that, hey, you know, this was not a church council. Why did Paul go to Jerusalem? 
Here, Paul says, listen, I didn't go because Peter summoned me or James called me to Jerusalem. And it's very easy for us to understand today why Paul went there. The troublemakers were from the church in Jerusalem. Where were they going to be disciplined and discredited, but in the church that, quote-unquote, they claimed sent them out? And so... They went back to the church, and we follow that tradition today. If a pastor gets into trouble, has problems, there's a church that holds his ordination. And they come, and they deal with him. My pastor has gotten on the plane and flown to a different country because the the man uh, in question was a missionary in this certain country, and he was not doing right. And he went and explained, uh, tried to get an audience with that man and explain to him, and the guy wouldn't even talk to him. And so they just had to send him a letter from the church saying, you're no longer a preacher. You want to be ordained? Somebody else is going to have to do it again. We're taking it away from you. That's what was going on here. And so Paul went to Jerusalem, but he didn't have a whole Bible like we do. And so, the Holy Spirit of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ, had to come to him again and say, Listen, here's how you solve this problem. You go back to the church where they came from. They were setting a precedent. Uh, The church they came from handles the problem. And they went back. And let's see what happened there. He said, And I communicated unto them... That gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, just so we don't misunderstand what was going on there, Paul was not catering his message. Because he says in the next verse, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. What Paul was doing was he was dealing with the pastors of the church with this issue so that the pastors of the church of Jerusalem could then go into the pulpit and say, hey, this is what's being reported people in this church are saying, and it is wrong. Paul did not choose to argue with the individual members of the church. He didn't want to get into that. That was not his position. These people were causing problems. They were from the church. The pastors of the church had to handle the problem. And so Paul explained to them the problem. And Titus, who was with him, was a Gentile Christian. And he left a Gentile Christian. He did not have to become a Jewish person in order to remain a Christian. And verse Four expounds it even a little more, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, this is a passage that is twisted in so many ways today. There are many pastors that uh, teach that, listen, You have liberty in Christ. You have liberty to do anything you want. That's why we have rock music in our churches, because we're free. We're not under bondage. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about those that would try to bring in the traditions of the elders And all of the laws and all of the practices, that's why we don't worship on Saturday. Somebody said, well, why don't you keep the law of God? Well, have you ever understood what the grace of God demands, my friend? We're going to get into that later in the book. The requirements of grace are so far above that of the law that there's no comparison to the two. The demands of grace is thou shalt not hate. The demand of the law is, as long as you don't take a knife or a gun or some weapon and cause someone else's life to cease, you have kept 
that commandment, thou shalt not kill. But the real issue is what's going on in the heart, isn't it? And that's where grace deals with it. And so, Paul is trying to help them understand that, listen, we do not have to keep the traditions of the Jewish people in order to be saved. And look at verse 5, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Paul said, I didn't put up with them for one moment. We didn't give them even an hour to express their thoughts. We condemned them from the beginning. There is no agreement between truth and error. I heard a tape years ago that says, you can negotiate anything. No, you can't. There are so many things that you just cannot negotiate. I wish we could teach our people in the State Department that. Uh, You can't negotiate with murderers and terrorists. You can't do it. You can't negotiate the truth with error. You can't negotiate clean with unclean. I'm glad Andrew put a clean glass of water on the pulpit. This had been left here since Sunday. I wouldn't be drinking it. You know why? Because there just might be something growing in there. I like my water clean. How about you? And, and we need to be careful that our doctrine's clean. God's doctrine, the truth of the Bible, this was echoed by the psalmist in Psalm 119. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. Jesus said you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. How many of you remember being a part of a religion where if you didn't do enough good things, you couldn't keep your salvation? Does anybody remember that process of trying to do good and trying to... Uh, follow the directions of the church and trying to do the things that they said and trying to be good enough to please God and yet knowing in your heart that no matter how many good things you did, it wasn't good enough. Then you remember what happened when you got saved? It was like the burden just fell off. You said, I'm free. I don't have to earn my salvation. It's a free gift from Jesus Christ. How many could say amen to that? And Paul was fighting with these men who were trying to add works to the grace of God. And we get to to verse 6 here. And we're going to have to tie this up pretty quick. It says, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person, For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, we're going to stop right here so that we finish this thought because this is too important to skip over in a very light way. But what Paul was saying was, there were those who were in agreement with what I was doing. And he's going to name the names here in just a few minutes, how that James and And Peter extended to him the right hand of fellowship that they said, we are in total agreement of what we are doing here and we're working together to get the same job done. He said, they didn't add anything to me. Where is he going for the Galatians? He's going right back to chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9 there where he says, though we are an angel, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. See, Paul said, when we had this meeting in Jerusalem, nobody added doctrine. I already had everything I needed from Jesus Christ, which I already brought to you. And now you in Galatia are leaving this thing and you are not going to be delivered from this present evil world. In fact, you're going to bring yourself into bondage to this present evil world because you are leaving the truth of the gospel 
and trying to add to it the traditions of men. So the book of Galatians is dealing with some very, very serious things. And what Paul is doing here in giving us his history is certifying that the message that he preached was not Paul's message. It was Jesus' message. It wasn't Peter's message. It wasn't the apostles that were before him. It wasn't from any human source. It was directly from God. Yet, when we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to find out that the message that Peter preached and the message that Paul preached were the exact same message. No difference. Because God has one message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so we work our way through the, the book of Galatians here and we understand that Paul preached the gospel. You know, we can do some things that Paul did. We can preach the same message that he preached. And that's what we're trying to do. And all God's people said... Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives, that you would help us to understand in this world of change and all of these false claims that are out there for who has the oldest faith and who has this and doesn't have that. Lord, let us rest assured that what we have are the simple message of your gospel that Paul preached in the first century, that Peter preached before him. That Jesus lived so that we could be free from our sins. And Lord, we ask that you would deliver us. That you would use your word and simple faith in it to deliver us from this present evil world in which we live. And before we finish that prayer, we'll have just a moment of silence here. We'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out, spend a few moments. The altar is open.